0: All right, this morning, looking at the subject of reaching imperfect people, I'd like to start out with a little bit of background to this particular message. A number of years ago, while pastoring in a previous church, I had several visits from a man, and uh, that's not unusual for pastors to have visitors, but uh, this particular fellow was an interesting character. He, in fact, was a member of the Iron Coffins Motorcycle Club, the uh, Detroit chapter And his appearance, as you can imagine, was every bit what you'd think of when you think of somebody in a motorcycle gang. The the bandana on his head, big full beard, strong muscular body, leather jacket, tattoos, chains, leather boots. I mean, he he looked every bit the part. And uh, he came in and he he wanted to meet with me. He had some questions and he needed some help. So we sat down and talked come to find out after speaking with him a while he grew up in a christian home wasn't certain he was saved but he in fact was just a big teddy bear and uh, he was struggling with some questions in life and and uh, so we spent some time talking and uh, struck up a friendship and had an opportunity to meet with him on several occasions it was funny one day he uh, came in and met with me needed me to pray he said, I need some help. I need a, I need an answer to prayer. So we prayed and he left. And when he got home, he called me and said, I can't believe it. God answered your prayer before I got home. It was amazing. He was so excited. But uh, at, at that first day when he visited, when somebody comes in like that, you're thinking, what have I gotten myself into? <laughs> but uh, enjoyed speaking with him. But I walked out with him, and he walked out to the parking lot. There was this big Harley, and he uh, cranked it up and rode on home. But I noticed there were a number of people standing in the hallways, looking out windows, watching him as he left. You see, for someone that grew up in a Christian home in a a relatively safe setting, you know, seeing a person like that walking through the church halls might uh, might be a little unnerving. Me, I grew up in a very different background, and so where I grew up and the way I grew up, It wasn't all that unusual to be around somebody like that, but nonetheless, how do we respond when we find ourselves looking at someone that is so completely different than we are? I can appreciate the difficulty some Christians might have in speaking with someone of this nature, but I cannot condone a judgmental attitude that condemns someone before we know anything about them. Let me put it this way, the attitude we display uh, to individuals who are different than us often reveals something about our character and our relationship with the Lord. You see, I believe when, we, when we're confronted with somebody that's different than us, we ought to be willing to tell them about the love of God. We ought to be willing to give them the plan of salvation We ought to be willing to explain to them, Jesus died for their sins and has a desire to save them. But what we're going to see as we look in Scripture this morning are three different examples of ways in which people respond to others. And I'd ask you to join me in looking at these different texts. John chapter 8, verses 3 through 5. We notice the first response people have towards someone different than them. Some people can respond with condemnation, or they, they respond by condemning an individual. In this response, we reject the person in order to confront their problem. Notice with me in John chapter 8, verse 3, this is the story of the woman taken in adultery, a woman that was brought to Jesus, and the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, This woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? Certainly we recognize this was an attempt on the part of these individuals to trap the Lord Jesus, to trip him up, to find fault against him. A couple of things jump out at us in this text. It says that they brought the woman. Where was the man? He was just as guilty. And they had already decided what should happen, and they wanted him to go ahead and give his opinion. I don't believe these men were interested in this woman's restoration or repentance. I believe all they wanted to do was to condemn her and to do so in such a way that they would trip up the Lord Jesus Christ and find a fault with him. We need to be careful as Christians not to be quick to condemn someone because of the way they look or because of their lifestyle. You know, it's interesting. You consider the same thing in Luke chapter 19 when Jesus went to visit Zacchaeus. Luke chapter 19 verse 5 tells us, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he, Jesus, was gone to be a guest with a man that was a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus saith unto him, this day is salvation come to this house for as much as he also is a son of Abraham for the son of man is come to seek and to save that which was lost you see the pharisees they looked at this man and said he's a sinner And by Jesus associating with them, he's making light of this man's condition and this man's activities. Jesus wasn't doing that at all. He recognized this was a man in need of help. This was a man in need of being confronted with his sin and receiving the truth. And as a result, Zacchaeus, I believe, got saved. He trusted in Christ. And Jesus said, salvation has come to this man's house. Why? Because the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. That is the watchword for us as God's children to understand that we are responsible to get the message of Christ, the message of salvation, to people who are lost. If we never come into contact with lost folks, how are we going to do that? How can we possibly accomplish fulfilling the great commission if we never talk to somebody that's lost. If we disassociate ourselves from people who are different than us. Now the scripture does warn us as to being careful with who we become friends. The Bible tells us we're not to be friends of the world. We're not to love the world. We're to guard ourselves in that particular situation. We're not to yoke up with unbelievers. But there's nothing wrong with being friendly. Toward the lost. Far too often, Christians put off any type of interaction with people because of the way they look. Whether it's their hair, their dress, whether or not they're unkept. Whether or not they speak a different language. They're a different color, uh, skin color. They have a different culture or background or religion. We look at them and say, they're different I don't want to have anything to do with them. That is the wrong approach for presenting the gospel to people who know not Christ. We need to be wise in regard to our interaction with others, but we cannot be guilty of cutting ourselves off from speaking with those folks who are different. I believe we do harm as Christians by criticizing others before we get to know them before we take the opportunity to find out something about them. I realize we're saying some things here, or could be saying some things here that that could be deemed offensive, but... Look, just because somebody has a different color skin or just because they have a different, co- a different type of religion doesn't mean they don't need to hear the gospel message from us. We cannot be guilty of isolation. We cannot be guilty of trying to put ourselves in a bubble and not having anything to do with those around us. If you were to go to homes up and down Wilkinson Road here, up and down McIntosh, or in these areas around us, you'd find there's a lot of folks living around us who are different than we are. But they are desperately in need of the gospel message. There are houses in this neighborhood full of people today, at this moment, at this hour, who aren't in church, who have no interest in God. Yes, they're different than us, but they need to be confronted with the truth of the Word of God. They need to hear that Jesus loves them, that God does care and can heal their sin, that God can make them a new creature in Christ. And if we don't ever make an attempt to reach them, how in the world are these people going to end up receiving the gospel of Christ? Beloved, we need to reach out to those who are lost rather than pushing them away. We need to welcome interaction with those who know not Christ Rather than refuse to communicate with them. Look at Romans chapter 14 with me. I believe we as Christians do a great deal of harm in criticizing others because they're different than us. Because they have different practices or beliefs than us. Romans chapter 14. I want you to see something here. We need to give others an opportunity to come to the Lord. And we need to give other Christians an opportunity to grow in Christ. Just because someone's different than us doesn't automatically mean they're wrong. Romans 14, 10. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not, thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Jump down to verse 13. Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, more, but judge this rather than that put no man a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in thy brother's way. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. But if thy brother be grieved with with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably. Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Let not then your good be evil spoken of. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved unto men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace, and things wherewith one may edify another. Sometimes we're quick to condemn someone because they don't believe like us. They don't act like us. They don't do like we do. We each have our own preferences, our own convictions, our own views on things. and Sometimes those views are determined by very clear instruction in the Word of God. Sometimes those views are shaped by principles in the Word of God. And sometimes those views are merely based on opinions of what we see in the Word of God, we need to be careful not to strike out at someone verbally, not to lash out at somebody, not to reject someone because they don't look and think and act like we do. What we need to find out is what think they of Christ? That's the first and foremost question that must be answered. What do these people think of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do they know He is the Christ? Do they believe He is Lord? Have they trusted Him as their Savior? If not, then get past all the minutia, all the different superficial stuff that you see in regard to their outward appearance and get to their heart. Try and reach them with the gospel message. If they receive Christ, wonderful. If not... And continue to pray for them. We can't be guilty of looking at someone and saying, I'm not going to bother witnessing to them. I'm not even going to try to tell them about the Lord because I'm sure they wouldn't want to hear it. You say, well, how do you know that? And we would say, well, just look at them. (laughs) That's not going to get it. It's not going to work. James 4.11 says, Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. Be careful that we don't put ourselves in a position of God. And we're judging, we're, we're making decisions about other people based on what we don't know, but rather what we assume to be true about them. With this being said, we have to guard against condemning someone because of the way they look, because of the way they act. They need to trust Christ. Understand, we were the same way before we got saved. We were lost and undone. Aren't you glad somebody looked past the outward and reached you with the gospel message? Well, we need to be careful not to be quick to condemn somebody, but we also need to be careful not to condone their sin in an attempt to win them. Notice, if you would, 1 Corinthians. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. You see, in this response of responding by condoning, we ignore the problem in order to reach the person. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. Paul, in writing to the church here, he says, It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife. And ye are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. The people in the church closed their eyes to it. They ignored it. They pretended it wasn't happening. Those who follow this practice or hold this view would believe that we should never either personally or publicly say anything that would make an individual uncomfortable or unhappy. As far as they're concerned, all behavior must be deemed acceptable and appropriate. Do we not see that being shoved at us with full force by our culture and society today? People's attitude is, never mind what they do. Don't worry about what they do. Let them do what they want. It's fine. There's no problem. All you have to do if you want to reach them for Christ is tell them God loves them. Well, understand, the Bible tells us, Jesus made it clear, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. In order for someone to be saved, they have to repent of his or her sin and receive Christ as Savior. You can't ignore it. You can't excuse it. You can't condone it and cover it up. Someone Someone's sin has to be exposed in order for them to acknowledge it, in order for them to recognize it is sin, and in order for them to repent of it. See, not only did Paul condemn the individual in this situation for sin, but he also rebuked the Corinthian believers who closed their eyes to the problem. You see, the first group we looked at, they're condemning someone because... They want to deal with the problem rather than the person. In this scenario, they're ignoring the problem altogether for the hope of winning the person. Let me give you an illustration. In a biography of a well known new evangelical pastor, the author tells the story of two young men new to the church who had asked to sing a duet. When they did, one of the singers was wearing a t-shirt which advertised a popular beer and had curse words written on the back of it. The author explained that while this would have been a problem in most churches, it was merely a mild amusement to this non-judgmental church. You see, they believe in order to reach people for Christ, we must acquiesce. To some things with which we may not agree. Beloved, this is a totally unbiblical approach to reaching people with the gospel message. By adhering to this corrupt philosophy, some churches will allow individuals to live whatever way they want and yet stand before the congregation in some sort of leadership or service capacity, knowing full well that it, that individual is immoral, is dishonest, or whatever, but leadership says, well, that's all right. After all, that's their, their life and their business. They ought to be able to do what they want in private. We well, you know, the Bible has a whole lot to say about godly living, fleeing fornication, about doing that which is right, God demands, be ye holy, for I am holy, saith the Lord. There is a great deal of pressure being put upon churches and individuals in our culture today to just ignore what people think, say, and do, and accept them. And they say we have to be tolerant toward those individuals. Well, there's a misunderstanding of tolerance today. To tolerate a religious viewpoint that's contrary to our own, doesn't mean that we have to accept that view as fact. I accept there are many people who follow the Muslim religion, the Jewish religion, the Catholic religion, or whatever religion. There are many people who follow cultic teachings out there. I understand that they follow those, but I don't agree with them. I don't accept them because they are committed to those religious beliefs that those religious beliefs are right and correct. No, I believe they're wrong. I believe we can only be right with God by following the precepts and instructions set forth in God's holy word. You step outside the book and you're headed in the wrong direction. You're believing the wrong thing. You're involved in the wrong practices. We don't have to accept what they believe as being true. We simply acknowledge it's their right to believe in that. Somebody has the right to believe whatever they want about God. They can believe he doesn't exist. It is their right as an individual human being created by God to believe what they want about Him. You see, the very meaning of the word tolerance implies that we realize there's a differing belief and we respect those individuals who hold those beliefs without accepting the beliefs that they hold. Does that make sense? Respect for the individual without agreeing with what they believe. Now, on the other hand, pluralism, which is popular in our culture today, requires that we accept other religious teachings as legitimate expressions of truth. Absolutely not. We're not going to say an individual who denies the existence of God and who rejects any teaching that Jesus Christ is deity, we're not going to sit with that person and say, well, you know, God bless you, (laughs) I'm happy for you, I agree with you. We don't agree with that. Absolutely not. We cannot be guilty of condoning false teaching, false practices, false activity, false worship, and be right with God ourselves. Scripture tells us, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. There is a difference as defined by God's word in righteousness and unrighteousness. Paul asked the Corinthians, what fellowship hath light with darkness? What communion hath Christ with Belial? You see, there's no intermingling of truth and error in the eyes of God. We are either right or we are wrong. We are saved or we are lost. We are obedient or we are disobedient. The world likes to keep throwing out gray areas and say, well, it's all muddled. It all just gets mixed up in the middle. No, no. God says there's a line. You cross that line. You step away from me. You're stepping toward unrighteousness. We need to be careful that when we seek to win people to the Lord, we don't condone their lifestyle and say well that's okay that's acceptable don't misunderstand they don't have to change their lifestyle to get saved once they get saved though they're a new creature in Christ and changes will take place we need to be careful not to reject people to address the problem we need to be careful not to receive people and ignore the problem so what's the correct approach Well, aggression allows no room for growth. Acquiescence gives no reason for growth. But we note also in John chapter 4, we can respond not by condemning someone, not by condoning their sin, but by caring for them. Look at John chapter 4, verse 5. This is the method used by the Lord. When he sought to reach somebody with the message of truth, he approached them with a spirit and an attitude of caring for their soul. John chapter 4. Actually, it's pretty much most of the chapter, but we're not going to take time to read all of this morning. I'll go ahead and point out this section to you and uh, help you to see a couple of things here. This is when Jesus and his disciples cross into Samaria. Verse 3, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. So at this point, the disciples have gone into town to purchase some food, But Jesus is sitting there at the well, and a woman comes out to the well. Verse 7, There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. This sets up the scenario, if you will. And By the way, I believe this actually took place. I don't believe this is a parable. I don't believe it's merely a, a story that was made up for the basis of instruction. I believe this actually took place where Jesus interacted with this Samaritan woman, and she questions why he would want her to give him water because it's he was a Jew, she was a Samaritan. There was a noticeable difference, and she was the first to call attention to it. Jesus overlooked the difference by caring for her as a person. However, we also see that he didn't condone her activity, her differences, because he addressed them in just a moment. But just to go ahead and summarize this passage, they have this conversation, they're going back and forth. Verse 10, Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldst ask of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep, from whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us this well and drank there of himself and his children and his cattle? Jesus saith unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. He said, I am the message of hope you have been seeking. And he goes on to have this discussion with him. Then she goes ahead and says, Well, I perceive thou art a prophet in verse 19 and talks about her father's worship there in the mountains in verse 20. Jesus said, well, I'm the one you've been waiting for, in verse 21. Verse 22, ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. And then a woman makes a comment, a reference to the Messiah. Jesus saith, I that speak unto thee am he. But in this conversation... He points out she didn't have a husband. You know, she had uh, brought up a little bit about herself. And uh, verse 16, notice what he says. Jesus saith unto her, Go, call thy husband, and come hither. The woman answered and saith unto her, I have no husband. Jesus saith unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands. And he whom thou now hast is not thy husband, in that thou sayest truly. What he does is rather than refusing to talk to her because she's different, rather than ignoring the sin of her life, he addresses that situation and calls attention to the fact that God knows we're a sinner in need of a Savior. He calls attention to the fact that this woman is living in iniquity and must be and it must be dealt with and as a result this woman goes from there and she starts telling everybody in the city about Jesus and has all these people coming out to see him. The point is Jesus knew who she was. He knew what she was guilty of. He didn't ignore it. He addressed it and he addressed it in the context of that's your problem, but this is your need. Your need is the living water. Your need is eternal life. Your need is salvation in me. Because he said, I'm that prophet that you've been looking for. So he says, this is your problem, but that problem can be resolved and addressed and dealt with through your trust. In the Savior. That's the message the world needs to hear today. We don't need to beat folks over the head and tell them that they're wicked, vile, ungodly sinners going to hell. A lot of them already know that. What they need to know is there is hope. They can find forgiveness for their sin and they can find one who will uh, forgive them and make them whole in Christ. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. What a great promise that's available today. And it's available to whosoever will For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord Shall be saved He knew what this woman woman was like He knew all about her But he addressed her greater need Which was salvation in him Acceptance does not indicate approval Let me illustrate it this way Let's say next Sunday morning we have two families come in to visit our church. The first family, all dressed in their church clothes, carrying a Bible. We've got some children, and they're all being obedient and respectful, and they come in and introduce themselves to folks, and, and they just sit down, and they're ready, to, ready for church. And then another group comes in, another family. They're wearing old, dirty, tattered clothes, smell like they've just come out of a smoke factory, look like they haven't had a shower in a few days kind of loud, a little obnoxious, which family are you going to walk up to and introduce yourself to? I hope the answer would be both. Don't misunderstand. I think people ought to look their best when they come to church. But if we place certain restrictions on how people look in order to come through the doors, how are we going to reach those who are different than we are? Now, granted, once somebody gets saved, I believe the Lord will address the dress and the grooming and the hygiene uh, issues and all of that. But, well, we need to get folks saved. The Bible tells us to go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. It doesn't say anything about going into the areas where you find people you'd like to have in your church and bring them in. It doesn't say anything about targeting certain audiences and bring them in because they will be of financial benefit or there'll be a monetary boon to your church. No. It says just go out and find people and get them to come in. Acceptance means that we love the individual because God loves them. It means we seek to win that person to Christ. Acceptance means that we pray for their salvation and spiritual growth. The biblical principle is clear in this matter. Romans 14.1 Him that is weak in the faith receive ye. Isaiah 35, verse 3, Strengthen ye the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. Romans 15, 7, Wherefore receive ye one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Can I say none of us were were a real prize when God got us? When each of us got saved, God didn't say, wow, wow. Heaven wouldn't be the same without you. Oh, it's so much better because you're here. I'm telling you what, I just want you to know as your heavenly father, I'm so happy you got saved because you're head and shoulders above everybody else. None of us heard that and none of us will. No, we all come to God on the same ground at the foot of the cross. Sinners in need of a savior. and We need to be careful not to push people away from the cross because we condemn them We need to be careful not to confuse people about the message of salvation by condoning their sin, but we need to caringly receive others for Christ. Let me share with you this thought concerning David Livingston. David Livingston was raised in poverty. He was one of seven children. At the age of 10, he began working at the local cotton mill, and during that time, he studied classical literature, The young Scotsman had completed his medical education involving two years of study in Glasgow and was ready to give his life to the Lord. A man named Robert Moffat, a missionary, came to speak at their school, and Livingston's eyes were fastened upon him. This man had a godly and vehement concern for Africa's perishing millions. He stood in that chapel session and said, I have sometimes seen in the morning sun the smoke of a thousand villages where no missionary has ever been. That statement gave Livingston a desire to reach these people with the gospel message. And as we know, he did go on to Africa to be a great servant of the Lord. None of us may ever get to Africa to serve in that capacity, but I would imagine each of us pass many, many people every day who are just as lost and undone as anybody else around the world. How do we see those people with whom we come into contact? Do we see those people as folks that we don't want to have anything to do and we'd push them away? Do we see those folks as those whom we would just completely ignore what they do? Or do we see these folks through the eyes of one who cares? Jesus said, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. He expects us to look at people and be concerned for their soul's greatest need. If they're not saved, that is the need of salvation. If they are saved, it is the need of fellowship and communion with the Lord. Each day we come into contact with people. What is our attitude toward them in this regard? I believe the Lord would have us to reach out to imperfect people with the gospel message and tell them of their need for the Savior. How are we doing in that area? We need to be wise in how we approach folks, but we also need to be brokenhearted for those we come into contact with. Amen.